high. It's Thursday morning, so let me see if I can do this. Get that away for Parshas uh, Vayeshev, uh, which is coming up this week, because I'm going to be away tomorrow and afterwards. Um, first of all, I want to thank, there's a few people that sent me in that responded to my appeal for uh, funding, because as I said before, I have these issues with the equipment and the expenses now that are coming up in connection with the lectures and the podcast, and uh, a few people responded, so I'm grateful. I hope more people responded. It's uh, difficult for me on this end to do it by myself. So um, I hope all good people will uh, will kick in something, make my life easier. Um, I am this Shabbos away as a scholar in residence in uh, Fort Lee, right outside of Manhattan, Young Israel Fort Lee, Rabbi Goldberg's. And uh, to, to my Hanukkah and some other things from American American Jewish history. It looks like it'll be interesting. I don't know if you live in the neighborhood. And Motsi Shabbat, Saturday night, I'm going to Muncie, uh, where I'm giving a talk in someone's house. Um, they're advertising it about the history of Hanukkah, certain aspects of the history of Hanukkah, uh, because there's so many different ones, the history and the meta-history of uh, Hanukkah. And uh, again, that'll be uh, going also at Yosha, at, at the home of Yoshio and Connie and uh, Rachel Levenger. Uh, I do want, as I said before, I want to thank the people. Some people wrote to me in and they said, can they dedicate, you know, podcast in memory of somebody and so forth. Somebody is actually doing that in January and uh, someone else in maybe February. Uh, but that's an easy way. Uh, that's something that uh, is very easy for me to do. But uh, not this week, apparently. All right, let me get down to uh, brass tacks. We're looking at Pasha Vayeshev, which always comes out around Hanukkah time. Isn't that right? Vayeshev, Mekates, and Vayish. They're always the ones around Hanukkah time. Here we have the story, as we all know, of uh, Achdus versus Pirud. The, uh, there's a supreme Jewish value, which none of us know about today, which is the Achdus of the Jewish people, which we've kind of given up on in the modern era. It's very sad, uh, because you have to. But uh, in a perfect world, all the Jews would be on the same page. But on the other hand, we have a gene in us that for period, you know, for, for uh, centrifugal forces versus the centripetal forces. And this is the story of Yosef and the brothers, obviously. You know, as we all know from Rashi, Bikish Yaakov, Leishev, Shalva, Yaakov finally survived Esau. He finally survived Lavan, even survived the rape of Dina and all that. And finally settle down, and then break out the fight of Yosef and the brothers, uh, which is a very a famous story, as, as everybody knows. Let's get this straight. They tried to kill him. They pushed him in a pit that has snakes. So it wasn't like, you know, well, let's kill him, no, let's change our mind and throw him in a pit. They put him in a pit where he should have died. So the whole story of Yosef is a story of Hashkacha Pratis in a, in a, in a huge way. Which is, as I always try to point out, whenever if you know how to read the Torah right, at least in my opinion, you have to understand the studies of Ashkaka Pratis as cautionary tales. Cautionary tales. In other words, maybe it happened to that guy, but it doesn't mean it happened to you. The classic example you have in this week's Parsha, there's so many aspects of this, is, of course, uh, Asia's Potiphar, the Potiphar's wife, um, which is, by the way, the most relevant part of the Parsha down until today. A lot of people work out in the real world, you know. Not everybody's a Rebbe, you know. Not everybody work out in the real world. And the real world, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. The, you have the Benos Mov and the Aishas Potiphar. And uh, you know as well as I do. And guys are always uh, sort of subjective. Remember, she attacked him. 
he didn't go to her, she went to him, and he almost gave in, in other words, he was, he was a normal guy, he wasn't gay, so he almost gave in, but he had a, as we all know, he had a Hashkacha protest, everybody knows that story, what does it say, he came, and then at the last minute, the image of his father appeared to him, and he didn't do it, well, uh, if you're Yosem Atzadik, you get that kind of special, you know, siyata uh, deshmai. The average guy out there, the average snook, can't rely on, uh, you know, siyata deshmai. You gotta watch yourself double in all kinds of situations. And so the result is that you see from the story of Yosef, who rises to success in the Gaisha world, uh, he has to walk a tightrope. You understand? Uh, to be successful, to be successful in the secular world, at the same time, not give up your Yiddishkeit, uh, very difficult. Now, he pulled it off, and the whole story of Yosef is that he was a virtuoso, and he was able to do it. That's what makes him famous. He could be the viceroy of Egypt, and all that kind of business. He could rise, even when he was in uh, jail, you know. He rose to the top of the jail in this week's Pasha. Uh, Yosef was in jail. By the way, I hope you uh, you, wouldn't know, you wouldn't know this, but... Uh, in the ancient world, there was no such thing as jail. Meaning, what we do nowadays, which is somebody commits a crime, they send him to prison, that's only about 200 years old. It's one of the quote-unquote reforms, the penal reforms of the Marquis of Beccaria back in the 1700s, in which somebody commits a crime, the punishment is you put him in jail. Once upon a time, they didn't know about that. They said, that's stupid. If somebody commits a crime, beat him up. Give him lashes. Uh, chop off a hand if that's your culture, you know, something like that. Send him off as a slave, beat the heck out of him, and then let him go. So I'll just give you an example. Somebody goes and steals something. They would give him 50 lashes or whatever they would do, and then go home. And presumably, you're not going to get, do that and get caught again. And in a lot of countries, as you know, after they give him one chance, if we tried it again, to chop off a hand. You're not going to steal anymore. But the point is, the public doesn't pay for his jail public doesn't pay three meals a day and that kind of thing for him to spend years and years in a prison. So, in the old world, by the way, the Torah is like this, right? The Torah doesn't have jail. Agreed? You know, there are crimes, there's Malchus, and there's, uh, uh, you know, Knosses of various sorts, but uh, there's, no, there's no such thing as jail. In the old world, the only jail was for political prisoners. So the king doesn't like somebody but doesn't want to kill him yet or may choose not to kill him and use him some future occasion, and so you put him in a cold storage. That was called a jail, a prison. And that, my friends, is exactly what you have in this week's Parsha. They send Yosef to a, 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 a jail. Remember that language? Uh, I think that's what it says in the Pasuk. place where the king's prisoners were, were done. Meaning VIPs. Only people that, for political reasons, are put on ice, they're in the jail. Not an average common crook, thief, you know, this, that, and the other, pimp, who knows what. That's not what they did. That Those people, they would beat up or, or chop up or, or exile or enslave or something like that. Uh, somebody's a macher. So when Yosef gets uh, sent by Potiphar after his wife accuses him, as we all know the story, of uh, coming on there, which, which was the opposite of the truth, uh, Potiphar obviously knew the truth, and he put Yosef... In a political prison, it's very, just very interesting. I mean, what, what, what was Yosef's crime? You understand? The answer is he did no crime because the Pasuk says, Beferish, something like that, the, you know, that the, the Potiphar was completely satisfied with Yosef. Whatever he did, 
he was a matzliach. So this is like a blip on the screen. In other words, Potiphar put him in charge of the, running the estate, handling the banking, uh, uh, seeing the books, uh, you know, looking at the overall economic situation, making sure the place runs well, and Yosef did a perfect job. So he wasn't classified as a crook. LMI, he was uh, classified or accused of uh, stepping beyond the boundaries, committing a political crime. She said he came on to me. In other words, he made a pass for a princess because she was the wife of Potiphar, you know, the Tsar Tabochem. So that was a political crime. They put him in political jail. And Yosef, of course, was able to, what's the right word, exploit this, take advantage of this very intelligently. If I'm in jail, that means it's like, it's like going to Harvard. All the people I'm going to run into are machers because he wouldn't be in such a thing called a jail unless the guy was the king's baker or the king's butler and another guy could have been the king's chauffeur, you know, or whatever, you know, one of those types of uh, important positions. And that is what Yosef does, doesn't he? He interprets the dream of the butler and the baker. And eventually, not right away, I know the story like you know the story. But eventually, it, it plays out. It pays out, doesn't it? Now, in the case of Yosef, you have a combination of somebody who's very brilliant. Uh, as I said before, without extraordinary talents, he wouldn't be able to walk that tightrope and be Maslich in Egypt and pull off the job of being a successful Egyptian, at the same time a successful Jew. And always making the point, you know the story like I know the story. He didn't eat with them at the same table. He kept kosher. Because later when the brothers come and they, they put him at different tables, remember? Kilo yochlo hamitzrim lecho sivim lechem. Yosef, uh, you know, uh, is able to maintain his own space and uh, boundaries. And that's a trick. You know what I'm saying? Like they say to, the, to be successful for the federal government, you know, to have a high position in the government on the one hand, be t- 100% uh, totally from Jew, is, is not easy. And most people, frankly, aren't successful at it. You understand? Uh, the brothers could never pull that off. When the brothers show up, Yosef says, I'm putting you guys in a Jewish ghetto in Goshen. You know, I'm sending you up Lakewood. I'm sending you up in Abrock because you'll never be able to do what I did. So Yosef is an exception. However, as often happens with brilliant people, they're not so easy to be around. And that's the story at the beginning of the Parsha, where Yosef is, what, 17 years old, all the rest of it. And he is brilliant, but, you know, he's not able to, uh, to, to uh, refrain from being a turnoff. Very smart people, very talented people are often a turnoff. It wasn't the smartest thing in the world for him to say, I had a dream where you're all going to bow down to me. That was kind of dumb, right? And, uh, you yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, all your alum bowed down to me. Like, now, it's true. No, it did come true. And eventually, when he was the vice of Egypt, they all did bow down to him because he was in charge of the wheat. It is true. So the dreams he had were not simply Meshuggah and the dreams or uh, what's the right word? It's inflated self-ego and all the rest of it. But that's how it came off. Right? That's clear the story. That's how it came off. See, he couldn't... As is true with many many smart people, they can't help but be a turnoff. This is very interesting. Um, I did a podcast the other day about Avram ben Arambam, the son of Rambam. And the Rambam was writing about him. He said, my son is a genius, but nobody knows it. Meaning, he's a very nice guy. He never, ever flaunts anything. Yeah, he could sit in the back of the show and shoot the ball with anybody. You'd never know he's a genius. This was because he cultivated that midah of not being obnoxious and not being a turnoff. Yosef didn't, and paid the price for it. Okay? I mean, he said, the sun, the moon, and the stars will bow down to me. My goodness. My goodness. What, what, yeah. Imagine if you had a brother. <laughs> Think about this. 
If you had a brother, and he comes up and says, like, the whole world revolves around me. Everything, your whole life is going to be just in my service. He tells the parents also, the reason you came to this world and got married is for a genius like me to come along or something like that. My goodness, you, you, you say like this, get out of here. It's impossible to be around you. Now, in the end, it was not false. See, if Yosef turned out to be some jerk who simply had delusions of grandeur when he was a child, so you say, you know, he's one of these kids that Nebuchadnezzar lived in a bubble in his own mental uh, universe, which had nothing to do with reality. But in the case of Yosef, it came true, isn't it? He emerged as the leading person of his generation, in, in, in secular as well as religious, you know, and he had the dreams and the voodoo, you know, all, all the stories that you find in Parsha Ba'ishim and Parsha Mikates and Ba'ishim and so forth. Uh, so, what he, what he felt as young was actually true, but, you know, hide it. <laughs> Don't go and throw it in people's faces. But who nar? But the person couldn't help, he was a nar. You know what I'm saying? And therefore, he didn't understand these. There's certain things, I don't care. You could have a kid with the biggest IQ when you're 15 years old. When you're 17 years old, you simply have no experience in life. That's all. You have no experience in life. By the time he was 30, he was a different person. Correct? You know, when he appeared before Paro. And by the time he was older, he hopped and was a different person. But when he was younger, he wasn't. That, that itself is just a very interesting story because the Torah tells you true things. And we're supposed to learn lessons from here. And, uh, you know, this, this this is one of the bigger ones. This is one of the bigger ones. Now, um, in the case of Yosef, of course, what you find is, what you find is, of course, that he was, Vayavei Yosef, what is Diva Samra Laviam. He used to tell him the brothers. Now, if he told things that weren't true, I don't think they would care that much. You understand? Know Somebody simply tells lies or, you know, lives in their own alternative universe. The problem is what he said was true. That drove him crazy. Because who are you? Uh, could I stand? Or could you stand if your brother or your sister is going tell, telling you, especially things that are true? Uh, everybody's got weird habits. Everybody's got faults, all the rest of it. Why, why, do you, why do you want to do that? And you tell the father. That makes you hated. And the result is, therefore, we see that the Jewish people are condemned throughout history to have elites and others who don't necessarily integrate well with the rest. Right? We have geniuses and things like that that don't integrate with the rest of the claw. And uh, that's a challenge. Now, I'll tell you something that I consider very profound. I went to a Shabbat the other day, and I heard somebody say a dry Torah, and that stimulated me to uh, think along, uh, uh, to, to notice something I never noticed before, and I'm going to share with you. So, listen to this. We all know the story. I know you know the story. And obviously, Yaakov didn't cop what was going on with his kids. And so as, as they tell, I'm just pulling out a chumash over here. It says that by Shani, by son of that they went off to uh, be shepherds. By Yisrael Yosef, and the father says to the son, Yaakov says to Yosef, go find your brothers. I'm going to send you to them. That is clueless. You know, he's hated by the brothers, and he's going to send them. And remember the double shalom. So just imagine the dinner table by Yaakov's house. You know, everybody's <laughs> talking to each other, except nobody's talking to Yosef. And Yaakov's not dumb. Uh, it's a, you know, Rashi tries it, but the Chazal put a spin on it, and they say they couldn't lie to us, they couldn't be, uh, what's the right word, hypocrites. Fine, let that be. I, that is a virtue. But the bottom line is, here you have a table with, uh, you know, dinner table with, uh, you know, 13 uh, boys, uh, well, 12 boys, and uh, uh, they're all talking to each other. Nobody's talking to Yosef. Okay, and when every time he talks to them, they won't answer him except by snarling. 
So it just tells you a certain dynamic. Now, Yaakov must have known that. Now, maybe in his mind he figured, well, if he put, put them together, you know, it'll be better. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, he said, I want to send you out to the brothers. Uh, Tell me what's happening over there. Really? Really? This is the guy by Yaveyo Sefis Debo Samral Avihem. The brothers won't talk to him because he's always saying what they regard as lush and hard against him. And the father says, I want you to go out and give me some report about what's happening, what's happening over there uh, with your brothers. That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, that's what happened. Now, um, it goes on to tell you, and again, I know you don't know the Psukim, he went from Chevron to Shem, which is a distance, right? Chevron to Shem. And then it says, that he was, you know, uh, lost in a field, whatever, and he runs into an Ish. And the Ish asks Yosef, what are you looking for? Or, I like, the Hebrew is very uh, supple. Mativakesh. What is it that you seek? And Yosef answers, I seek my brothers. Where are they? Now, Rashi famously says that there was a Malach, a Gavriel, uh, which is interesting. And the Sisechum says that otherwise, why would they tell you the story? Which is absolutely correct. Meaning, any detail they tell you in the Chumash is there, is, the Chumash is pretty succinct. So if they share it to you, it's like an important part. So why do we have to say that, you know, Yosef went looking for his brothers and ran into a guy, and the guy said, go to Dose. He could have gone there by himself and still get kidnapped and thrown into a pit. So why this episode, he runs into a niche, and, it, and especially if the Ish is a Malach. So, what this is telling you is, uh, to my mind, very interesting. Because, as a Chayin Nochi that Yosef says, I think means, um, maybe this is because I'm not a young man anymore, what, 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 I think what he means is like this, I want to establish a relationship with my brother, I see it's no good. Uh, we have a, a, a dysfunctional situation over here. They can't talk to me. Uh, I realize I'm a turn-off. Uh, and I want to make this right. And he runs into a malach, an angel. And the angel says to him, what are you seeking? Meaning, what, what's, what's your real goal? And he says, I want to uh, restore or create family harmony, which is uh, seems to be irreparably damaged. And... The angel tells him, go to your brothers, they're over there in, in, in this and this place, where you and I, the reader, know that they're going to kill him, or they're going to throw him into a pit and try to kill him, eventually sell him into slavery. Why does the angel tell him that? And so, it's just remarkable. What it means is, to my mind, you want to make things up with your brother, brothers, which is a commendable goal, but it's a little bit unrealistic after what you've done to mess things up. You know, a guy can't go in and, and, and create a whole train wreck and then say, I'm sorry, let's be friends from now on. If you want to really make up with your brothers, then you have to, Yosef doesn't know this is what the guy's telling him, the angel's telling him, you have to proceed on to where your brothers are now and let history take its course. You will be kidnapped, uh, they'll try to kill you, they'll sell you into slavery, in Egypt you'll rise to be viceroy, you'll be in charge of the food when the famine comes, they will then come and see you. You'll bring your father down. They'll settle in Goshen. The father will die. And when the father dies, in Pashavayichi, then the brothers will have a frank conversation with you and, and apologize. And notice, then all the junk will go away. 
uh, and you'll all cry, and then you'll be one united unit. Okay? Because then the family quarrels will go away. But you've got to go through a lot of junk and, and decades before that happens. Isn't that remarkable? You've got to go through, only when the brothers, who right now are, are, are saturated with hatred for you, and for understandable reasons, only when circumstances change so radically, and you have the kidnapping and the, the, the slavery and the famine in Egypt and all the things that happened in Mikates and Vaigash, all that, and when they realize, you know, that the, uh, the Binyamin will almost get killed, and that'll make them think, as they said, only when all this happens, and only when the father is dead, that's even more remarkable, only when Yaakov is gone, will there be an actual reconciliation. If you really want to seek to patch things up with your brother, then you have to pay a price, and you have to go through a lot of junk. And I don't think Yosef knew that at the time the guy's telling to him. It's not clear to me whether he knew he's a Gavriel Amalek or not, but the Rashi goes to the trouble of telling you that. And so what he's saying is there's a certain destiny that you have to go through, and only then, from a different perspective in life, will unity be established or possibly reestablished. If you want, I hope I made myself clear. Imagine if you have two relatives. Listen, let's be frank. I've never heard of any Jewish family in which some relatives aren't talking to others. True? This is definitely in your family somewhere. A cousin is not talking to a cousin, a brother to a brother, you know, a parent sometimes to children, unfortunately. You know, that's just the way it goes. The in-laws don't talk to each other. There's always something like that going on. And we have this gene in us. And uh, maybe it's not only Jews, but I know the Jews. And Parsha uh, is what it is, the existential reality. There's always some junk like that going on. If you want to imagine, for example, uh, I'm just making this up, two siblings they got into a fight when they were young, and therefore, as in the Jewish style, one lives here, one lives there, they have nothing to do with each other. 30 years go by, maybe 40 years go by, then they see each other, and then they say, you know, I've done well, you've done well, I have a family over here, you have a family over here, let's bury the hatchet, and they mean it. And only when they get together do they say, you know, we wasted 40 years in not talking to each other. Of course, and I realized that without the passage at that time, the reconciliation would never take place. This is Lamaisa what happened by Yosef. Now, even though it comes late in life, it's very important. Why is it very important? The book of Rachis ends with the final reconciliation of Yosef and the brothers. It's not Pashat, and, you know, they beg him, they say, you know, uh, you know, forgive our sins, and Yosef says, I'm not going to punish you, I'm not God. And even there, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a double entendre, but it does happen. Why do I say this is the important part of the book of Bratius? Once the Jewish people have put the brothers, the Shvatim, have all put their stuff aside, even though a lot had to happen for the war to be under the bridge and then finally to patch things up, once they've done that, then the Jewish people are ready for Gullus Mitzrayim. Then they're ready for the slavery, which is the beginning of next parsha. In other words, there's a juxtaposition, an inner content to the end of Bratius and the beginning of Shmos. Once the Klai Yisrael, through a lot of pain and junk and suffering uh, and vanity and all kinds of things like that, once they go through the process of Es Achai Anochi Mavakesh, and they are Mavakesh, and they do find each other, uh, then you have the Achdus, which, which, which means like this, now the Jewish people can handle the bitterness of the Gauls, uh, of uh, Mitzrayim, the slavery in Egypt, because that was a tough uh, you know, time. And ordinarily, under such heavy pressure, every unit cracks. The Jewish people, <coughs> oh, 
excuse me, don't crack in Egypt. They suffer, but they don't crack. And by the time Moshe Rabbeinu comes along and they takes them out, they're still sufficiently united to leave as a group. I think you noticed, to leave as a group. Not that it's perfect, but it's pretty uh, united. Uh, look what it took to bring this about. Yosef had to go through all of his suffering, uh, mental and physical. The brothers had to go through all their suffering because they had pangs of conscience afterwards. Um, we, you end up with a very, very interesting juxtaposition in this week's Parsha of Yehuda and Yosef. Let's put it this way. Yehuda is able, I'm sorry, Yosef is able to resist the girl. Yehuda is not able to resist the girl. Why does there have to come and tell us all that? It's really interesting, you know. Yehuda is the one who was criticizing Yosef. But in the end, as the whole story of Tamar shows, Yehuda was not able to, uh, you know, um, refrain from doing anything. Yosef was able to refrain from doing something. Uh, so the guy you thought was a, 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 a Loshan Harnik, and uh, what did they say, Masal Basari, you know, he was a Yefei Mara and all that, and you made fun of, he turned out to have more moral fiber than you, than you did, Yehuda. That's, a, that's a, quite interesting. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's really remarkable. So you see the most unusual aspects of family dynamics in this week's Parsha, but the key element, as far as I can see, as I'm speaking this here, is this Achai Nechim Evakesh. When there is a period, when there's a break in family relations, which often happens, it's not easy to put it back together. And uh, only if somebody considers Achdus to be a supreme value are you willing to go through a lot of junk in life to bring this about. I'm not saying that Yosef said, bring it on, and let me go through all the suffering I'm about to undergo, but de facto that is what happened. And the proof of that is it was an angel who told him this in the first place. At least that's what it seems to me, and that seems the most uh, uh, overarching, remarkable aspect of the story. This has to do a little bit, I just want to take another minute, uh, with Hanukkah, as I say before, you always find Hanukkah, as Hanukkah is also about period and this. I'm talking now about the historical Hanukkah, correct? The historical Hanukkah. And that's the Hanukkah of the Maccabean Wars, in which the Jews basically fought a civil war. If you read closely the Book of Maccabees, which is the original source, for Hanukkah, Book of Maccabees is in the Apocrypha. It's not in the Bible, and uh, it's always interesting. I was in Shabbos' bookstore the other day. I see some firm operation put out Sefer HaMakabim, <laughs> which is uh, again from the Svarim Kitsonium, the, the Book of the Maccabees. Uh, and it's clear over there, as anything, that Hanukkah is primarily a civil war between the uh, Maccabees and the Misyavim, to use whatever. I don't know who came up with the term Misyavim, because that's not found in. Chazal, it's not found in rabbinic literature, as far as I'm aware. You know, I don't think you find it in the uh, Maral, for example, places like that. It's a relatively modern term, Misyavnim. But whatever the case is, there was a giant a civil war um, over what is considered, you know, uh, the proper way for the Jews to go. And truth is, I just saw something online where somebody was talking, I can't who it was, Someone was talking about the fact that, you know, Hanukkah is a bloody battle between the uh, the Frum and the Hellenized majority, perhaps, it's very possible. And uh, down till today, we argue, who you know, what's the real uh, Judaism? It's a shame, because these arguments weren't solved then, except by war, to some degree. Uh, I don't want to get into too historical, but, you know, after the Maccabean victories, eventually the children and the grandchildren of the Maccabees also became Hellenists. Sort of. Um, and we have this problem today. 
So it's a chayyim like the 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 uh, the cry of the Jewish people. You know, how can we uh, find some kind of common uh, you know uh, a ground in culture? It gets harder and harder because the culture keeps changing. You got to be in favor of this. You got to be in favor of that. If you're not that, you're not modern. You're not uh, in there. If you're from all these values, get uh, this. This is what they call the Golis Yavan. Uh, uh, maybe I'll talk about that next week. So, uh, anyway, I wanted to throw a few ideas out there. And uh, with that, I wish you a good Shabbos.